You're listening to SAS Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. Today's guest is Erik Holm, the CFO at PlanHat. I think when you're bootstrapped and you need to focus on short-term cash flow, uh, it's at the same time difficult to make those long-term product decisions that we've also had to make. So it's it's certainly an amazing, uh, challenging balance there. Everybody likes a good bootstrap story, so do we, and today we're going to have the opportunity to dive right into one. Right. Bootstrapped until you're not bootstrapped. (laughs) Check it out. Exactly. And and besides (laughs) that, of course, what you also should check out is, of course, Sassiest 2023. So we have open for ticket sales and you can check out the website on sassiest2023.com. We hope to see you there. And with that, let's go on to the show. Today, we are super happy to have Erik Holm, the CFO at PlanHat here as a guest in the podcast. So welcome, Erik. Thank you. It's great to have you here, Erik, on the show. We, we've bumped into a lot of plan hatters. Is that what you guys call yourself? Is that, is that, is that the name? Yeah, plan hatters or hatters. I don't know. Uh, we don't have a name like that yet. But. Plan hatters or hatters. Yeah. And you were actually one, one of the ones that, that supported our very first event. I mean, roughly, I don't know. It's more than a year ago, but uh, that's when we came in contact first. So happy to have you on the show eventually. Yes, yes. And, and we know you guys have done a fantastic journey. I think most of the listeners here, if you're listening to this, you probably heard of Plan Hat. But if you haven't heard and bumped into Eric before, Eric, why don't you give them the story? Who is Eric Holm? Yeah, so um, again, great to be here. So so I'm the CFO at Plan Hat. Um, career-wise, I have... So prior to, to being with Planet, I worked in private equity as a, as an investor focusing on software. Ooh, the dark side. The yeah, dark really side. the dark side. Um, <laughs> but, you know, focused on software and learned a lot about what you know, good looks like in software. Learned a lot about unit economics, uh, net retention, these things. And, and as I did that... Um, I eventually bumped into in, into PlanHat. Um, initially, tried to invest in the company, but then realized that okay, this is gonna be a big thing. So, ended up joining. And uh, yeah, I've been uh, been with the company uh, since a few years as, as one of the early employees, and, and I'm the CFO at the company. So, did you get to invest? I'm certainly part of of uh, that. Yes. Okay. Good for you. Good for you. Okay. So, talking about PlanHat, what can you tell us about the company? So um, we're, uh, we're what we call a customer platform, um, which basically is a, a new generation CRM, helping modern companies, um, typically B2B technology companies, manage their customers. And the thesis is that as the world is going towards a more recurring economy where new things become important, um, it has certain implications on, on the processes and on the technology that you use to manage your customers. So um, um, that's what we're building. And we, Planet was founded in 2015 by uh, um, my colleagues, uh, Niklas, who's our CTO, and Kave, who's our CEO. And um, we've built the company a bit under the radar sense. Uh, most companies would tell you that they're product-focused. We, uh, 
we didn't have any people in, in sales and marketing uh, in 2016, 17, 18, 19, nor half of 20. How did you survive? So, so I'll get to that. Uh, I'll get to the bootstrap story. But we were, you know, incredibly product focused, and, and then um, in, in the last few years, we've really built up the team um, from there. Okay, so you mentioned you saw yourself as a modern CRM. So. Are you also competing with CRMs that works with uh, new sales? Is that something that you use Planet for as well? Do you need a, a regular CRM if, if you have Planet? So we have customers that only use Planet. Actually, it's not uh, it's not where we're coming from. I would say that um, you know, in, in almost all cases, our customers have um, a new business or marketing CRM as well, and um, it's. Um, and our focus is really to help you manage your existing customers. Um, but what we're seeing is that there's a change, right, where the importance of landing new customers is, relatively speaking, gradually um, decreasing compared to the importance of actually driving customer lifetime value and, and driving retention over time. Okay. Um, so I would say that there's there's a shift going on, and we're trying to... Um, um, cater to that shift. All right, then who is your ideal customer? So our ideal customer is um, typically fast-growing mid-market to enterprise B2B technology companies. Um, and um, what that's meant is, historically, it's been SaaS companies that have raised Series C, Series D, and onwards. They've gotten to some scale, and they've started building up a customer success practice, for example. Um, what we're seeing, though, is that it's spreading to other um, B2B um, industries as well. All right. Okay. Very good. So uh, walk us through some of the, the key numbers here, just so, so the listeners know like what type of company Planhead is in terms of size. What is your ARR? How fast are you guys growing on an early basis? Let's start there. So um, we've been a bootstrap company. Um, today, we're 170 people, um, relatively quickly approaching 200. Mm-hmm. Um, we um, we try not to talk too much about numbers, but there's been some uh, articles about Planet being, uh, you know, when we did raise our first capital, we were 100 people and we had about $10 million of ARR. And uh, you can also do the math. When you're 200 people, you kind of need to be around $20 million of ARR uh, in order to afford um, that type of business. So that's roughly where we are. Um, and... Uh, we're about 500, uh, we're serving about 500 customers today. Okay, and, and where do you serve these customers? Where are they predominantly located? In Europe, US, or? Yeah, so um, um, they're located really across the world where you would find the big tech markets. So the US is our biggest market. Mm -hmm. um, that's where we um, have our largest team and, and uh, our largest piece of, of, of our business. Um, we have a significant business in, across Europe, um, in the UK, in the Nordics, in the Benelux, etc. Um, and, um, and even some business in, in APAC as well, um, ANZ. So was that the strategy from the beginning, being big in the US, or did that just happen? Yeah, so we've been global since, since day one. We, internally, we say that we're born in the cloud, and uh, we serve all markets. Um, so, and a couple of or a bit of context to that would be, first of all, we don't we have a global product. There's very limited localization in the product. It's in English, and and uh, um, the customers that we work with are typically um, they're forward thinking and modern. So uh, uh, it works naturally that way. 
we it also relates a bit back to our history where we really focused on product and, and we picked up customers a bit where there was natural demand. So we got we got some inbounds um, uh, through referrals and, and online demand, and um, that's really how how we picked up customers. We're going to talk more about that journey. I mean, you mentioned before you were bootstrapped for a long time, then eventually. You came to um, to a point where you took some VC money, uh, quite a big chunk. How, how much is some? How much is how much money have you guys raised to date? So we've done one round, um, that was fifty million dollars. It's a good first round. Yeah, it's it's uh, um, it's definitely good first round. Good seed round. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, yeah, we're going to talk about what it is being bootstrapped um, then being VC funded and when the timing is right to make that transition, if ever. And apparently in your case it was. So um, if we take a step back, could you could you take us through the um, the first bootstrapping years, what, what it's like? Uh, why did you choose to, to bootstrap in the, in the beginning? So first I think um, there's a lot of, there are a lot of reasons why you could bootstrap and, and uh, there are a lot of reasons why you could raise funds as well. I'm going to try to talk about what we did and and uh, not necessarily what I think everyone should do but um, for us as I said you know we had this product focus where we were building um, something that we thought was relatively lo- it was it was a long-term thing and I would say that from from the very first beginning we had a broad product ambition in our product which naturally takes time to build and uh, it kind of, I was telling you the other day when we were speaking on the phone that if uh, you know if you go to Google and you Google how do you build a SaaS company, what will come up is um, it will say find a niche, find a really really tight ICP, and then tighten it, and then tighten it, tighten it, tighten it, and eventually invest a bunch of money into it, and and you will go to the moon. And for us, we haven't done any of that. We have had a very broad ICP and scope of our product from day one. And uh, when you do that, it will. It, it simply has to take time and uh, and it also has implications on on the targets that you have and if you raise a bunch of money you're naturally going to have growth targets and and, uh, and revenue targets that you really need to uh, work towards and um, and given that we took another route um, it's helped us a bit so that is uh, that is one reason i think it would have been very difficult for us to to raise a ton of money early on, uh, invest all of that into um, you know, into like a hundred engineers, and and really crack it from day one. Like we've had to work with our customers, we've had to work work with um, customers that came on early on that helped us, gave feed, they gave feedback, etc. Um, and it's kind of been the natural route for us. So that's interesting. So how did you actually? fund operations in the early days like did you have other jobs or like how did this work out so so we've had customers um since the early days um first uh you you start with people that you that are in your network and that you know um that that come on board and then um as we organically organically picked up customers here and there we we could afford to hire another developer, another product person, uh, etc. And then that went on for some time, where we hired one more developer, another developer, another developer, and then eventually we got some scale to um, 
to really ramp up the team. But it's always been uh, we've always been funded by um, by our customers. So basically, business business one on one. Very good. And at what point in time did the actual founders start paying themselves? Niklas, who um, who's our CTO, uh, you would have, have to ask him. But relatively early on, I would say we've always it's some context as well. Like it's always been a lean and mean team. So we, we were a small team for uh, for the really really small team for the first few years. Okay, and with a small team, how how many were you the the first years? So I think we were five people going into 2019, for example, um, which is uh, you know three or four years after actually starting Planet. Wow, that's amazing. And you're 200 now, you said? Exactly, yeah. Wow. But I mean, there must have been bumps on the road here. So what what was the most difficult during these early years, would you say? You know, a bunch of things that, that have been difficult uh, along the journey. I would say that, you know, if you bootstrap a business, everything you do has to create value. And... Uh, um, one one thing that has been difficult and it's been amazing learning uh, that we're still uh, living by and applying is is you know anyone that's in Planet has to have targets um, you know individual targets that we follow up on on a recurring basis. Any everyone needs to create value. Everything we do needs to be tied back to uh, to that value, etc. So that's that's certainly been a difficult um, difficult uh, challenge. Um, another thing is when you're building product um, or any you know comp- strategy in general is about making priorities, right? Um, choosing to do certain things and, and choosing not to do other things. And I think when you're bootstrapped and you need to to focus on short-term cash flow, uh, it's at the same time difficult to make those long-term product decisions that we've also had to make. So it's there's certainly a, an amazing, uh, challenging balance there. All right, and and looking back, do you, do you feel that bootstrapping has given you and the organization a long-standing advantage uh, moving forward? And and what would that be? So back to this thing around when you bootstrap, everyone needs to um, do things that create value, mm. and uh, um, that's definitely something we. Um, it's easy to say, um, and it's. Uh, um, you know, it should be the case in, in any business, but when you bootstrap, you actually have to live by it, otherwise you die. Right. Is it easy to, to keep that when you're growing this fast? It's not easy, no. It's, uh, and, and, you know, we can talk a lot about that. Like, there's uh, certainly um, challenges with that, but uh, I think it's uh, set the, uh, it's helped us, it's, it's helped us set the mindset as a company and, uh, um, we're trying to keep as much of that culture as possible uh, as we as we build a business. Yeah, and we've heard from other founding teams that have gone through a similar journey where they talk about uh, two things predominantly. It's focus, just a little bit like you said. You know, it's like when you have limited amount of cash, you only need to spend that on the right thing. So it, it helps focus. But also what was interesting for us to hear was how they felt that having too much money or suddenly a big influx of money sometimes can affect creativity negatively because then as a team you feel like well now i have a big pot of gold here 
I'll try this a little bit, maybe a little bit of that, and maybe a little bit of this, and then we'll we'll see what sticks. I'll hire this external agency that you know costs a lot of money instead of you know uh, trying to figure things out as you go. Yeah, yeah. No, and and I definitely see that. Um, at the same time, I feel like sometimes um, you know we're still a small company, and and sometimes I feel like you know we're going as fast as we can right and uh um there is it's not only like fi- it's not only financial limitations it's uh it, it's there there are other limitations as well when you try to go you know grow a business uh, very very quickly yeah yeah so okay you mentioned here earlier uh that you took in capital when you were about uh 10 million dollars in ARR 50 million dollars came in like why was the timing right to do it then? Why not earlier or wait until you guys were 12 or $15 million in error? So we always thought that, you know, we would bring in a partner. It was We were never fundamentalist about um, we, we have to bootstrap this until the very end. So it was always going to happen. Uh, we kept a good dialogue with a lot of investors, you know, since, uh, since the really early days uh, and also long before I joined. Um, investors have been reaching out to Planet. We've been in that kind of segment of uh, where a lot of growth investors and this is uh, or the type of companies that they focus on. So we've we've throughout the years um, kept in good touch and, and talked to a lot of people. And and it was always a thing where we said, yeah, we're we're probably gonna bring in a partner, but not now. Maybe in six months. And then six months later, it's still six months out, and you keep pushing that um, until. Uh, uh, you know, until the time comes. And for us, I think eventually we were at the point where our business was organically growing um, very quickly. We we had added a bunch of, or a lot of people that um, that did really well. And we could see in the, you know, in the metrics that the investments we made were uh, actually paying off. And which particular metrics then? Can you, can you highlight a few of them? Uh, yeah, so um, we could, for example, I mean, Simply put, we could see that a salesperson that came in sold for uh, you know a significant amount their second quarter. So you you know most people talk about CAC payback and and the different types of unit economics, but um, just to simplify it really well, like I think a good metric to metric to look at it. how much does a rep on average sell their second quarter or the or their third quarter with a company, and uh, we could see that some of those metrics um, they were really strong. So. We made the conclusion that from that perspective, it was a good time. I think from a product perspective, it, it also, also made sense. And then simply, um, there's market conditions as well. I felt like uh, back in the winter, there were, you know, the market was uh, quite hot, right? So uh, we obviously uh, wanted to take advantage of that as well. So is there also a land grab exercise involved in this? So uh, it's a hot market. You need to move fast in order to to grow really big here. There's probably some dynamic dy- dynamic like that in every market. I think for us, so we're working with we're working in the intersection of of CRMs and work OS tools, kind of, which is not really a winner takes it all market. It's a it's a huge market, and uh, diff, you know. A, different companies will have different needs and will you know that will require different types of technology so we've never seen that this as a you know winner takes it all market or necessarily a land grab but 
thing or a strategy. Um, so it was, um, I would probably say that that wasn't a big, um, big reason for raising money. Okay, and another reason could potentially be that you want to do acquisitions in the market. Yeah, I mean that, that could be. I wouldn't say though it's uh, nothing we're planning or thinking about. Okay, and you took it in a substantial amount. So, uh, how big a chunk of the company did you have to give away? I wouldn't comment on that. <laughs> okay, that's fine. It's a good one, Thomas. I, I like how you like. There was a surprise moment. Like bam from nowhere. So there are some uh, there are some rumors in the in the market. So can... <laughs> okay. Three ways to fail in sales. Brought to you by Memory. One, clog your pipeline. The fuller it is, the fuller you feel. Tip two, never use a plan. Predictability, eh, it's just boring. Three, forget the CRM. Probably sucks anyway. If you're ready to take control of your sales and make how you sell your competitive advantage, try Membrane for free today at Membrane.com. Let's look at this. You brought in a bunch of capital and I'm curious, like, did it change your business in any way internally and externally? And if so, how? What were those changes? So we're really trying not to change, first of all. Um, because I feel like what we've done has worked. Uh, internally, I've talked a bit about how we've been running our business, how we've been focusing on, on creating value at any point in time. But certainly, as you become a bigger company, uh, people that have been here for a long time become slightly more removed. And you can't avoid that. And that has certain implications and challenges uh, for us uh, as a company. Externally, so all of a sudden you need to, to report to someone. So clearly that has implications. For us, um, that hasn't been the case before. Um, I think one, um, on the one hand, you know, we have, uh, we have very supportive investors. So Sprint Capital that led our Series A, they're very involved and supportive and they've really invested in, in our plan and, and in our team, uh, which is, uh, which is, uh, a very good feeling and, and, and it's a good place to be. Uh, one interesting thing that I've been thinking about and we've been talking about as a team, however, in the last, um, uh, in the last few months is, you know, as you bring on investment, it obviously has, it has some implications on, on the metrics that you focus on. So all of a sudden, you know, you look a bit more at your quarterly metrics or you look at you when you're planning your business, you're, you're focusing a bit more on, um, what the metrics are going to be next year, et cetera, uh, obviously. And that's my background as well as an investor. Yeah. And that has certain implications on, on, for example, product strategy. So now we're all of a sudden talking about maybe five, diff five things we can build already now that will, um, that will have a positive impact on some shorter term metrics next year. But maybe that's not the right thing to do from a long term strategy perspective. All right. So that, that's the, you know, things that, um, some, some things that become more of a debate and, and uh, um, some topics that become a bit more um, present when you bring on investment. And for you personally as a CFO, how has this affected your workload? Is it like 10% more, 50% more, 100% more work for you? It's uh, definitely not 100 or 50. Maybe it's, uh, it is a bit more, certainly. Um, we, while this has happened, you know, we brought on uh, several extremely strong people onto, onto my team as well. Um, 
So that has probably had more implications on my daily daily life uh, than bringing on uh, uh, on external investors. Um, but we've always been data driven as a company. So uh, we're uh, and I I'm with my you know I'm naturally data driven and I'm thinking about these things um, given my background as well. So so not a huge change. Yeah. And since uh, being on the investment side, also you, you knew what to expect, right? It uh... yeah, no, I feel like I have I had a good uh, sense for what it could mean, and, and uh, it's still early days, still. So let's see what what it brings. You know, what goes around comes around. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. So uh, I'm also curious. You know, so we've heard these stories, and, and you've touched upon it a couple of times already here. But is there something looking back at this transition that you feel like we had something during the bootstrap area? that is forever gone now because it doesn't that process or exercise or feeling or culture whatever that is can't live in this new world is there such a scenario is there such an event in your world um yes so there's definitely certain implications that we we have to to live with so it's not like we're we can or are planning to to go back Um, i think though that everything it's always a trade-off right so we have high ambitions as a company uh, I think when I look at some of the most successful enterprise software companies out there, um, what they all have in common is they have been very good at raising the bar along the journey. So if I look at you know, Snowflake or Datadog or, or now Databricks, some of these really, really amazing companies that are, are out there, they have gradually raised the bar in faces. Right. And, uh, and we also recognize that, that was part of our thinking as well when we went through this process that, okay, now we're entering a new phase. We know that we have very high ambitions as a company and we can't be naive and think that what we've done in the past is necessarily going to be um, the right strategy or methodology as we go forward. So so it's, it's simply a matter of trade-offs, I think. But um, being able to run your company uh, in a small group and being able to make long-term product decisions without focusing on, on short-term met- metrics was a really good thing for us um, for the first five, six years, for sure. What is your top advice to founders that have bootstrapped and are now planning to take in VC money? Some, some processes, some fundraising processes in the last few years have been extremely transactional. And we tried to avoid that by, by spending quite a lot of time um, with select people up front, making the actual fundraising process quite quick. We didn't spend a lot of time getting to know people as part of that process. We had done that before, and I think as you're bringing on some, as we're bringing on an investor after having been bootstrapped for a long time, like it's a big change. So I would I would stress that even more for bootstrap businesses um, compared to you know businesses that have early on raised a seed and or a pre-seed and a seed and a Series A. Like the change will not be as big because they already have those external investors part of uh, part of their company. But for us, it was obviously a big change. Like we had done things a certain way for, for six, almost seven years. And, uh, and so that was a very important part for us. Cool. So, I mean, you have had an amazing journey so far, the bootstrap years, now the exciting growth years. And uh, what can we expect? What is in the future for, for Planet here? So, so as, as I've talked about, we're going to try to learn as much as possible from what we have done and, and stick to, to the script as, as much as possible. We're, um, we're, we think about ourselves as a small company early on in our journey. So uh, we're, we're going to continue to do uh, what we do. 
And how many people are you going to be next year and and uh, December? Are you going to be four hundred or what are we looking at? We're going to be uh, probably maybe three four hundred for sure. Okay. Wow. We're looking to um, you know we've always doubled or even tripled the company, and and obviously it's going to get more difficult as as we become a larger company. But uh, we're definitely going to keep up the pace. And are you going to keep the same uh, uh, revenue per employee ratio? If you're 400, are you going to be at 40 million? We don't know that, <laughs> but uh, we're def- we're gonna we're gonna try as hard as possible for sure. What we do know is that the new sales rep becomes profitable, like more or less in in uh, two quarters. I uh, I think I've almost never heard that for uh, for a company like yourself with with a. I mean, it's a high ticket price product, right? So it's not like you're selling. I don't know. Uh, those inbound EC PLG stuff. Let's see. Let's see who we can insult. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, no comment there. Okay, so uh, an exciting future for sure. Uh, is there anything in particular that you are looking for right now? So the big team, or the big thing for us, is, is building out the team. So the product that we're building is very configurable and customizable. So one big item for us, or one one big part of our strategy going forward, is going to be to to build out our partner mo- partner model. Um, so that's a big priority for the next couple of years. And is that for implementation or is that for channel sales? I think to, in the beginning, it's it's for implementation. Um, eventually, channel sales. We're inspired by um, what uh, what HubSpot has done and what Monday.com has done in the last couple of years. They've been incredibly incredibly successful um, building out that model in quite a short time frame. And um, it... Um, Logically, with our type of product, um, makes a lot of sense. So it's something we're we're definitely uh, prioritizing. And uh, other than that, we're we're um, we're building out Planet to solve for new use cases. That's a big part of our strategy. We haven't been too deep into exactly what what we do today, but you know we we built Planet for to help um, companies. Um, you know, solve a bunch of activities, but we built it in a horizontal way, so it's quite easy to um, to configure Planet into into solving new activities, and that can be packaged and, and sold and, and uh, used by by new personas. I think that's really interesting. So, so is is the purpose of that to bring more value to the existing customer base, or is it to find customers where you haven't been maybe seen traction in the past? I would say that it's it's a boring answer, but both. Uh, it, but it's it's not necessarily to find new types of customers, but to find new new use cases in either existing customers or other companies that are in in our core markets already. Yeah, but let's be honest, upsell mostly, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So uh, definitely upsell. <laughs> Hopefully, we can create more value. Um, for our customers and, and uh, then we also plan to charge more for sure absolutely so so if you are in this area a little bit outside what planet planet is doing now beware planet is coming there you go hope so yeah okay so to end off with uh, who would you like to see on the show uh, another time so one name that I feel like uh, uh, I haven't seen so much in, in Sweden but he's uh, clearly extremely successful and amazing is, is Ali from Databricks Okay. Uh, if you can get him on the show, that would be. I would definitely listen. Challenge accepted. 
I don't know if Denise from Snowflake has been on the show. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Okay, it sounds like a challenge. And uh, I know my friend Thomas here, he is up for all kinds of challenges. Yeah. Let's let's see how successful we will be with this one. Uh, Eric, it was great having you on the show. Thanks a lot. Insightful, educational, really inspiring. Uh, we're going to look uh, from uh, the sidelines here. And next time we speak, you're going to be at uh, 40 million ARR, 400, 400 people, right? You're pushing me a lot on these numbers. but uh, That's because you're the CFO. We would have been much nicer <laughs> if there were a CMO here. Or so. All right. Thank you. Uh, and see you around, Eric. Thank you. So Daniel, what's your big takeaway from this episode? Actually, this was a a very interesting episode for me in the sense of I always wanted to know a lot more about PlanHat. It's been such a hidden gem. Like they work, like Eric said, under the radar. So it was just good to have them on the show and get some of the insights. What I think was interesting and, and what he said was that being bootstrapped, that enabled them to build that broader product and explore that with what that could be. They weren't forced on the focus, focus, being narrower and narrower uh, and sort of get that motion and scale that. They could actually, you know, building what they wanted to do and take time doing it and be very product focused. And I love how they didn't have, you know, sales and marketing and all of that uh, in the beginning. I, I guess, you know, everyone had to be all of that as well, but but uh, I mean, firstly, product people, and uh, I guess it was a really interesting and uh, rewarding time, but uh, I think also, you know, they have a great journey ahead, and uh, well. You need to have, and you gave me lots of time to think about my big takeaway <laughs> here. I, I appreciate that. And uh, if I would uh, narrow it down to one, I think it was I- interesting, at least that's how I, I interpret it. It's like, they, they, they had product market fit and then when they had go to market fit, like he had one example here, they realized putting in a new sales rep, she or he would be productive and producing great numbers already in, in the second quarter. When that m- works, when you can repeat that model, why not just do it in a greater scale? So it's like they had a motion where they realized if we just have more money, we can hire more people <laughs> and we will make more money. So figure that out. Uh, I think that was a, a good way to exemplify when to take in money. And uh, when to take in new CEOs in our CEO network, well, that time is now. So if you would like to be in cohorts that you meet regularly to exchange information and knowledge and help each other out, you should definitely head over to sasnordic.com, go in under community and you can apply there. Also, if you're an executive, a C-level or VP, person within all kinds of categories. We have sales, marketing, product, finance, partner, customer success, and a lot more. Uh, You can also apply there. And then, of course, if you have any operational role in a B2B SaaS company, especially in the Nordics and the Baltics, head over there and sign up for the Slack community as well. And again, we said it in the beginning, SaaS 2023 is coming. Don't miss it. And uh, also, if you like the show, why not head over to iTunes and Spotify, give us a good review. We appreciate it. We appreciate that you take your time listening to the podcast and we hope to see you around. See you guys.